Coming up on episode 299 of Wheel Bearings, it's an all-interview show because we're taking the week off because Sam and his wife are hanging out on a beach in the middle of the Pacific and we're giving Robbie and Nicole some time off. So we've got a collection of interviews that we did during the 2023 New York Auto Show, uh, some of which have already been published on the, uh, the Patreon feed uh, for those that are supporting the show. Uh, and there's also a couple of new ones that haven't been heard yet. So first up, we've got Tom Somerville, the marketing manager for Ford Electric Enthusiast Vehicles. So I'm sitting here with uh, to- uh, Tom Somerville, general manager for Enthusiast Vehicles at Ford. Um, and among your responsibilities, I believe, is the Mustang Mach-E, right? Exactly. It's the Mustang Mach-E and uh, working on future vehicles as well in the enthusiast space. Uh, electric enthusiast vehicles? Yeah, only electric enthusiast vehicles. Okay. So that, that, that sounds interesting. Uh, can you give us any hints? You know, <laughs> when, when are we going to see... Uh, um, a, a, an electric Mustang convertible? Unfortunately, we cannot talk about future vehicles, but just so you know that we are very committed to maintaining our presence in the overall enthusiast space. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, I mean, you know, I think the, the Mach-E has been a great first entry for Ford into that. You know, I think when, when it first came out, when it, uh, when it was first announced, uh, or hinted at, actually, at the Detroit Auto Show in 2019, you know, there was, there was some trepidation, you know, but once we actually saw it and got to drive it and everything, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people came around on it. Um, how's how's Mach-E doing in the market uh, so far? Yeah, Mach-E is doing very well. You know, and along with F-150, helped propel us to be the number two EV manufacturer last year. Um, you know, we're seeing incredibly strong demand for Mustang Mach-E. We're seeing that over 70% of our customers for Mustang Mach-E are new to Ford. So it's helping grow our reach, bring more people into the showroom. And, and generally speaking, 96% of all of our Mustang Mach-E customers are first-time EV buyers. So really showing that this is uh, you know, a, a product that is helping us bring new people to the brand, new people to the energy type, and it really is an amazing complement for the traditional Mustang. So um, you had a really strong first, like almost two years now since we started deliveries. Um, and, uh, how, you know... Uh, Sales came out yesterday for, uh, for Q1, um, and uh, you know, slowed down a little bit from last year. Um, you know, are, is that more of a supply issue or a demand issue? I'd say you know, it's very hard to look at the first quarter as being indicative of overall sales. Uh, the, you know, the Mustang Mach-E plant was down for over six weeks okay. as part of um, a refresh that we're doing at the plant. So a large part of that was we spent a large part of the year just not producing any vehicles. And part of that is because we're very quickly expanding production. Mm-hmm. And by the end of this year, we'll be at a 270,000 unit per year run rate. So and that's between North America and China, right? So that, that is just well, for our plant. That's the global number. Oh, so 270,000 a year just from Quadalon? Uh, yes. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to double check on that okay. one. Um, so, so, you know, we, there are several periods of which we just went through and where the plant was down, which is heavily contributing to to that overall, um, you know, less than last year's sales number. Right. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, when you've got production challenges like that, you know, because you're shifting things around so you can ramp up and to supply more, you know, you're going to see some maybe temporary, hopefully temporary hiccups. Exactly. And, you know, and, and Lightning, the Rev-C has gone through a similar shutdown, and they're going to have another one as well. I mean, this this is all part of the overall ramping that's taking place. You know, so, so you know, the overall goal for the end of this year for all of our EVs is to be at a 600,000 per unit run rate. 
And this is part of the $50 billion commitment that Ford has made to accelerate us towards this all-electrified future. So end of this year, key milestone will be in total, that is globally, all products, 600,000 unit run rate. And then by 2026, to be at 2 million unit run rate across all products globally. That's, that's a lot of EVs. Um, you know, one of the, the things that's going to be changing this year for Maki and then a little bit later for Lightning is the, the battery situation. Um, currently, you're using all um, nickel manganese cobalt batteries, uh, NMC batteries, um, but you're going to start using LFP batteries for the standard range Mustang this year. Can you yeah. talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, exactly. So, so we are going to be migrating later this year to LFP batteries, and for Lightning, it will be in 2024 calendar year. Uh, you know, it, they're, they're really focused on what the use cases are for customers. So LFPs will be our standard range battery only, and NCM will be used for high-performance, high-use batteries for, say, you know, the, the maximum range because of the higher energy density of NCM. Um, from a use case perspective, people who are using their vehicle for daily use, they need to be charging every single day. You know, LFP is a better chemistry, so that would be the standard range configuration. And then again, for people who want a GT or a high-series F-150 and they need to be towing or hauling, the NCM is a better choice for them. But from the customer's point of view, they're not going to be under seeing the chemistry difference. Uh-huh. They're going to be selecting them purely based off of needs. Performance versus, you know, performance slash range, or is it regular usage? Um, you know, another benefit of LP is being able to regularly charge to 100%, while we recommend only charging to 80% for NCM. So different use cases, yes, coming to mach later this year, and then F-150 Lightning next year. Yeah, that's one of the great advantages of, of LFP batteries is their, their durability. Exactly. You know, they, they can withstand a lot a lot more abuse. Uh, exactly. You know, so going from zero to 100% on a daily basis if needed, that, that's, a, that's a big difference. Exactly. And, you know, that's also key as we see more of our customers using EVs as um, their only vehicle. That level of durability is, is key to those people. But then there's some other customers who, you know, have an EV as a second vehicle, and they have different use cases. And then LFP might not be the best case, and that's where they might prefer an MCM. Again, under the guise of it's a performance vehicle, like a Mach-E GT, or it's one of the extended range packs on either a Lightning or a Mach-E G- Mach-E. So one of the things that's happened over the past year with both Mach-E and Lightning, and to be fair, you know, a lot of other EVs from other manufacturers as well, is we've seen some price increases due to challenges, you know, with the, the battery or the, the battery material costs, uh, costs of lithium, nickel, and so on. Um, with the shift to adopting some LFP, um, is, is there a possibility we might start to see some, you know, maybe some more affordable variants of Maki and or Lightning showing up? You know, that's that's one of the intentions as well. One of the other intentions of bringing multiple chemistries, right? Being able to diversify away from, you know, high cost. Um, you know, rare commodities that you find in some other chemistries. And so essentially this will be part of our ability to make more affordable EVs, help drive adoption, as well as help, um, you know, on our path to achieving an 8% EBIT, um, which is one of the other goals that we've stated. Um, you know, some of the cost changes are, you know, a function of market conditions, commodity prices, and, you know, we've seen that it goes both ways, right? So we, we, we took some price adjustments up for Mustang Maki, and then as market conditions have changed and we've found cost savings in other, in other areas, we're able to bring the pricing down as well. Okay. With the, uh, with the, the reconfiguration of the assembly plant, being able to get more scale, um, and, um, yeah, is that going to co- potentially coincide? And I don't expect you to tell, give me specifics at this point, but you know, will that coincide with perhaps maybe some other changes in the vehicle to help um, 
improve performance, uh, reduce costs, uh, you know, make it more affordable. So unfortunately, we can't talk about future products, but yeah. you know, you know, we are committed to maintaining this always-on mindset of continually bringing improvements. Now, you'll see that first and foremost through some of our infotainment screens, uh, some improvements we brought to Blue Cruise, specifically with Blue Cruise 1.2, uh, but from a hardware standpoint, you know, again, applying always on, there will be improvements coming, there will be changes coming to best suit what customer needs are. Um, speaking of infotainment, um, earlier or last late last week, um, got a big announcement from one of your competitors that they were going to be removing support for uh, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto uh, from their EVs starting later this year. Um, obviously, that's something that Ford has had in their vehicles for quite a long time. Got it today. Um, does Ford have a stance? And I don't know if that's something you can comment on. If, you know about whether you know, you'll continue to support the smartphone projection in your future vehicles? Yeah, I mean, smartphone projection we know is something that's extremely important to our customers. It's gotten to a point where some EV consumers are, are shopping based on availability of it. You know, in the Mustang Mach-E, we have a 15.5-inch center screen, and we have one of the largest projections of Android Auto and Apple CarPlay in it. And again, it is something that in the latest software updates, we made that projection even larger. So it is something that we know customers care about. It is something that, based on our customer feedback, we certainly want to continue including and also improving on in the future. I'm curious. I don't know if you have you know, uh, any telemetry data about the way consumers actually use their vehicles for things like the infotainment um, you know, or maybe some survey data. Do you find that you know, consumers actually do use the, the projection system as opposed to the the embedded uh, infotainment? Yeah, you know, I, I can't give you specific data on that, although we do know that customers absolutely love using it. And what okay. you find are customers who use it, use it all the time. It is something that they cannot live without. And again, it comes back to the point where we've seen customers who are shopping for vehicles based on availability at some time. So, you know, for some people, absolutely love it, use it all the time, and in other people, care less about it. But it's becoming an extremely more, increasingly more important feature for the customers who do highly value it. Okay. Um, anything else about uh, you know, the, the current generation of Ford EVs um, that uh, you know, people should be thinking about um, that you want to share right now? You know, obviously, you can't talk about future products yet, but uh, hopefully soon. Uh, but you know, anything else we can talk about the, the current generation? Yeah, you know, really excited to, as I was mentioning, some of these over-the-air updates coming. This is one of the first major ones for, for Mustang Mach-E where you now have uh, some improvements in the center screen, some accessibility improvements, as well as new Blue Cruise 1.2. So as you're probably aware, we launched with Blue Cruise, which, which enables hands-free driving in pre-designated roads. Uh, and then in December, we started rolling out an update that allows you to make hands-free turns. So by activating the turn signal, the car will now switch lanes in a hands-free environment. And the car also is able to bias itself in its lane, so when it senses a vehicle next to it, we'll nudge it over in the other direction in order that's to... A, that's a very handy feature to have. You yeah. know, if, you're, if you're passing a big truck, give, give me a few extra inches. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, these are the sort of features which customers, we've heard from customers that they're looking for. Another example of that is we now have a dedicated camera button in the center screen. So, you know, small things that customers have asked for and that we've now started to deploy over the air to our customers who've purchased our vehicle. So, you know, just, again, this commitment to, from a software perspective, maintaining this always-on capability, listening and reacting, um, you know, in, in, in a quick time frame to customer feedback. 
And when when can, for example, Mach-E customers expect to get that 1.2 Bluetooth up? So some have already been getting it. It depends on a multitude of factors, including um, are they already receiving automatic updates, which is something we encourage all of our customers to do. Um, so there's a, a couple different factors that will determine when, but the updates already started several months ago. So okay. they are in the process of rolling out to our customers. And Blue Cruise 1.2 comes standard on every 23 model year that's already built. So, so it's been from the plant for several months and then rolling out OTA to everyone else in process right now as well. Okay, great. Thank you very much, Tom. Cool. Thank you. It's nice meeting you. Thank you. as well. Next up is uh, Nicole talking with Angela Zapeta, the CMO, the Chief Marketing Officer of Hyundai America. All right, everyone. I'm here at the New York Auto Show with Angela Zapeta, who is the Chief Marketing Officer. I got it right because her badge literally just says HMA Executive, which does not help. <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about marketing in Hyundai. So the first thing I actually want to ask you about is something that you guys just showed off, the Disney 100 Years of Magic. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that Ionic 5. How did that come to be? Yeah, so that started with uh, the partnership we have with Disney. Um, and this is the second time we've worked with Disney, um, who's a great partner of ours. Uh, we started working with them a couple years ago when we launched the Tucson, all-new Tucson in okay. 2021. And that was a fantastic partnership. And so they came back to us when it was coming up to be the 100th anniversary of Disney, which is pretty special on their end. And so we're the auto-exclusive partner. And um, so we work together. And that's what we love about our partnership is that it's not an off-the-shelf, you know, put a logo here you know, do a little, you know, commercial there. It's really working together to collaboratively put our two brands together. And one of the things we wanted to do was to do a special edition, which we had never done before with another uh, partner. And it's something Disney has never done. So it was actually uh, Hyundai engineers and designers working with uh, Disney's Imagineers. And together, we worked to put together a special edition Ionic 5. It's the Platinum Edition, and it's um, a really nice version of the Ionic 5. There'll be a thousand of them, and it has really beautiful cues um, that have, you know, hidden things with Disney in it. Um, not over the top, um, but it's a, a beautiful way to, I think, celebrate Disney. Um, and I think the beautiful things that we have also in Hyundai, but it's a nice collaboration between the two brands. And so it's, it's really special. So we, we're excited. Assuming you've taken a look at it and seen some of the details, is there any particular thing? Because there's a lot of little hidden Mickeys and stuff. Is there one thing on there that you think this is super cool, like a favorite feature for all the Disney cues? In well, there? there's there's a couple things on, on the show car that um, unfortunately we can't bring to the production car. Like, for example, there's the LED lights in the front, yes. um, which we can't do for safety reasons. Uh, on the production car, but that was actually really cool. Yeah. Um, but we do love the wheels, and that's a, a very Disney thing, is to always do a little hidden Mickey. So it's got the, the, the Mickey ear yeah. um, that's been uh, designed into that wheel, and so we love that. And so it, it's, But there's a lot of cool little things inside the interior, um, and you'll get some Disney sounds, the ambient lighting. Um, so it's just, it's got some nice things and in there. And will the wheels make it into the actual vehicle? So the wheels are okay? The wheels are Yay, good. Yay, so we'll have hidden Mickey wheels. Yeah, and I love the color. I think the color um, is, a spe- it's actually a special color. Okay. Um, it's uh, gravity gold. It's a matte color. And also the interior is an interior you can't get on the car in a standard version. So, okay. um, you know, overall I think it's, it's going to be um, something that I think fans are going to love. And what do you think makes... 
Disney a good partner for Hyundai? Why does that work? We love it because it's, um, of course, it's an iconic American brand. Um, it's a family brand, and uh, it's it's one that's genuine and true about making these um, big emotional moments with uh, consumers. And that's what we want to do at Hyundai. We want to make an emotional connection too. Um, our brand platform is It's Your Journey, and so we just feel like together we have this nice meld of um, what we want to do about. Um, you know, really interacting with our consumers in a genuine and authentic way. And that's what Disney also does. And so um, together we feel like we have a nice symbiotic relationship. And so we're very happy on both ends. And so we're very excited about RAM too. And this partnership will last through the end of the year. Okay. And so this is just the beginning. Oh, that's exciting. So other stuff? There other stuff other is coming. Yes, I can't wait to see. Uh, huge, just, I'm a huge Disney fan. So oh, to great. see a Disney car is kind of fun for me. Oh, excellent. Uh, yeah. So you had a big day today at New York. You we guys did. you guys won a few things from the World Car a Awards. Couple. Just a couple of little important huge awards that you won this year. Yeah. So it's a big day. What is your plan, you know, for the Ionic 6 having just come out? We all just drove that. I had a chance to drive it. What's your plan in terms of marketing? How are you going to get the public to continue to go in on the idea of EVs are something I can get today and I should consider today because it's a fantastic car. Yeah. How are you going to market that to people? You know, the Ionic platform has been really interesting for us. Um, we had the Ionic 5 last year, and where we were a year ago, and maybe even, let's say, a year before that, we weren't really marketing widely that we had all fuel power trains. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that we were being very regimented about CAFE and ZEV requirements. So we were doing a little more regionalized marketing um, in those states where we were really having to hit those requirements. But as it was accelerating very quickly, um, that EV was going to be here and, and going to be here to stay, we elevated that to more of a, a national campaign. And so uh, at the same time, we were coming out with the all electric platform where we weren't just doing a derivative of electric into an already established model. So it was important for us to get not only the information out that what is electric and how does that work, but that it was coming in a really special platform. And I think where Americans were at that time were, you know, Tesla for us was an interesting breakthrough because it was giving um, you a version of a car that was taking away what I think EV was really missing before, which was, you know, you were sort of giving up range. Um, you were giving up, I think, uh, a lot of content and um, a lot of inconvenience, I think, came with those vehicles. But then Tesla came and was giving you range, it was giving you performance, and it was giving you everything and more you wanted in a car, but it came at a pretty high price tag. Mm -hmm. And Ionic 5 is the thing that sort of gave you what you might have gotten in a Tesla 3, but at a really affordable price. And I think that's the beautiful thing about Hyundai as a company. It sort of gives you accessibility to things that maybe was affordable only to those that could afford it. And here we came now with Ionic 6 in a little bit different package. Um, in even more range, um, but really fast charging. And so I think that's really fantastic. I think we still have a job to do to let people know that it's um, really a lifestyle and it's it's pretty easy to own an EV. Of course, on the coasts, it's really a lot of infrastructures in place, um, but it's getting pretty accelerated. Um, and there's things you can do to put things in your home to help you have an easier lifestyle with EV. But again, I think that acceleration is, is becoming really faster to adopt. Um, and the price is coming down, and so we, we see people getting really excited about it. And, you know, we're, we're all in on an EV, so we're excited about what the future holds. 
Now, do you think, because you have two really great cars in the Ionic yeah. 5 and Ionic 6, they're, they're great EVs, they're, all the things you said are 100% true, that sort of giving people what they missed in the right. Tesla experience is, gives them a, a better car experience. Do you think that there needs to be sort of, are you trying to just sell people the Ionic 5 and Ionic 6, or are you trying to sell an electric lifestyle in your marketing? Like, how much are you focusing on saying, you can own an EV and you can live with it every day as opposed to just you have to live in the Hyundai. Like how much of it needs to be an education? It's a little bit of both. So, um, you know, we'd love them to pick the Hyundai, but we also know there's barriers to break down. So um, even on our HyundaiUSA.com website, and now we're starting to feed this content to all of our dealer websites. It's a lot of, you know, educational content and information. I mean, we still get questions um, and it comes through on our social feed, you know, like, can I drive my EV in the rain? You know, what happens when I wash it? Um, and, you know, they sound like they're funny questions, but they're really honest questions. Mm -hmm. um, so we have to help people understand, you know, what it what it means to own an EV. Um, I, you know, people are asked, like, you know, is, what's charging like? You know, I hear I have to have an app. You know, how do I do payment? You know, um, what's what does free charging mean? Mm -hmm. um, what happens after that? You know, and so we have to just break down all those barriers. And um, so that education is part of the OEM's uh, responsibility because that's part of the whole lifestyle, like you said. And yeah. So um, we're just trying to answer the questions in the most um, simplified way so it doesn't feel over overwhelming to the customer. Um, and so a lot of that is on our website and we're trying to educate our dealers as well. So when the customer goes there, the information's available to them and you know it's on the responsibility I think of the entire industry to make sure that the information is is easily digestible to the consumer so it doesn't feel like it's as scary or unattainable as I think a lot of people feel like it is. Yeah I agree with you that there needs to be an education every time I have an EV as a press vehicle um, I get a lot of questions about whether I can yeah. use it and during the winter because I'm in New England exactly I took to pictures charging. of it plugged it in the cold and everyone thought I was gonna burn my house down I'm like no it's okay it, it, it's okay with the snow right so and it sounds funny but people are genuinely afraid because you wouldn't plug a toaster in outside in the snow why can't you do it with your car and it's okay like, exactly people get a little confused do you find that like they're getting that information a lot from your website, but they're also having to go to your dealers. Is there a, a significant attempt to get the dealers in on this so that they're able to answer these, what might seem like basic questions in a way that people understand how living with an EV is? Yeah, yeah the dealers play a huge role in this. Um, in fact, the dealers who sell our Ionic line specifically, they have to be certified dealers. So there's training that's involved. They have to have the information on their websites, um, and that's because we want them to be armed with the right information. So when a customer, come, customer comes into their dealership, they're not, you know, leaving them sort of like empty-handed with like, well, I don't know, you know, <laughs> that would be terrible. So um, if you're selling Ionic, you have to have the right information um, at the tip of their hand. So we're, we're providing all that content to them. Our field staff is training them, and we're just arming them with as much information um, as we can. and doing it in a way that makes it easy for them to translate that to the customer. So it's an ongoing process for sure. Now, when you say you're training the dealers, what is that? Is that everybody at a dealership? Would there just be certain people who are like, okay, we know how to use EVs and we're sort of certified EVs? Are you making sure that whole dealership experience for a customer? We're hoping it's the whole dealership experience um, because, you know, a, a customer may interact with anybody at a dealership. Um, yeah, is it the, the guy that does the final walk around at the car? But it's the guy who's selling it, and you know he, there could be questions that come up even in the F and I office when the transaction's happening. So you just never know when that question may come up from the customer. So 
hopefully it is everyone at the dealership that at least has the basic knowledge level um, to answer the question and or if someone is you know not able to answer the question that they have at least um, some kind of digital device in the palm of their hands or quick in to grab mm -hmm. and they can quickly look that up so that way they can get that customer that information so we're doing all that we can to make that very rapid um, so that way you know they seem as knowledgeable as possible in the moment it's not perfect um, but it's getting better and better every day. It is. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with me. Thank you. And congratulations on your big world car thank wins you. We're this very, year. We're very excited. Thank you. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. And then we've got uh, Christian Munier and Jim Morrison from Jeep. All right. So um, let's start off. Uh, you know, Jeep has had uh, an amazing run over the past decade, the, the growth that the brand has had. Um, the Wrangler, you know, I think like with, with every major brand, there's always, you know, usually one model that is kind of the heart and soul of that brand. Ford, it's Mustang, Chevrolet's Corvette, Jeep, Wrangler, and, and Grand Cherokee, and, and Grand Cherokee. Yeah, I mean, a, a bunch of you know, Wagoneer too. But really, Wrangler is the one that that you know when people think of Jeep, they think of Wrangler. You know? uh, it's the original, and it's been interesting. The last couple of years, you've had um, finally had something resembling some real competition in that in that segment. And I'm curious your thoughts about you know. What it's like having some some competition, and you know, I think from what you're seeing now with the 2024 Wrangler, uh, clearly see some impacts of that competition. How competition is making everybody better. I think competition is good. You know, and I think one of our driving forces has always been our customers, and um, you know, we listen to our customers and stay focused on them. And a lot of the things that you see, you know, illustrated with the new Wrangler. More capability, more technology, and more comfort. There's all stuff that they've been asking for, but for sure it's been helped stimulated along by the uh, by the competition. So at the end of the day, you know, the product keeps getting better. If you look at the, the number of interventions we've made with uh, with Wrangler in the last few years, it's been at record paces. You know, we've added 35-inch tires. You know, we've added more capability. We've added a, a, a 20th anniversary. We've added a 4xe. We've added a 392. There's a lot going on in the Wrangler world, um, and uh, you know today's announcement is is just the icing on the cake of you know continual evolution of the product driven by our customers. So it's a stimulation, the next extra stimulation. We see we have a duty which is to make Wrangler the best of the best of the best always, because that's the icon of the brand as you described, and uh, and the fact that there are new players in the segment is a stimulation. The good news is at the end of the day also provides more visibility to that segment. More people are coming into the segment. They understand that, you know, we've, we've been talking about mobility for so many years, right? It's been like the fashionable world, mobility. We're not selling mobility at Jeep. We're selling well, lifestyle. Well, you are, but in a, in a very different form than different what people form. usually think of. Like we don't sell appliances. Yes. We sell a dream. We sell a lifestyle, obviously, with mobility, but mobility that gets you anywhere, whenever you want. And I think it's a good thing. You know, competition is good. We, we think it's very stimulating. 
and most of the changes on the 24 that you have seen in the background that you will see today uh, was already in the pipeline. The one thing that it gives us is a little bit more stimulation to go faster, to make it happen quicker, because because you have competition, you need to stay the best, the best of the best. So you, you're going to do it. So great. So obviously, one of the things that Jeep yeah, and Wrangler, particularly now Grand Cherokee as well, is doing faster than anyone else in the off-road segment is electrification. Uh, we were first with the 4xe uh, Wrangler, and now the, the Grand Cherokee. Um, you've got more coming in the next uh, couple of years. Can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, kind of where where the Jeep brand goes from here? So we've been we're, we're very committed to electrification, and and I think the the magic of 4xe is you make the 4x4 better. You make the Jeeps better with 4xe. You build the best Jeep ever. You have more capability off-road. You can drive in silence in nature. Uh, why not? And at the end of the day, the customers embrace it. We started with a Wrangler 4xe two years ago. We've been since then number one PHEV in North America. We introduced the Grand Cherokee 4xe at the end of last year. We're number two with Grand Cherokee in North America. So that means we have the two number one and number two spots very quickly with 4xe because, not because PHEV, because of what it delivers to the customers. That ability to drive 20 to 25 miles pure electric, and if you charge, if you commute, if you do a little bit of off-road, you can do it pure electric or hybrid mode. You have no anxiety. You have great fuel efficiency, which is not that easy with a Wrangler without it. So I think you have all the benefits that are pretty obvious. Now we're bringing BEV, you know, pure electric next year with the Recon and the Wagoneer S going to take it to another level. And uh, the first reaction of the public is very, very awesome. You know, he was in Moab, Utah, and maybe you want to give them some perspective. We get feedback from the press, feedback from the customers, and little by little, people are getting, you know, convinced that that's pretty cool stuff. So, it is. The nice thing for us, like Christian said, is, is we always want to be the best in four-wheel drive capability. And now 4xe is being recognized as the best. We've had people come up to us on the trails and say, wow, that thing is more capable than any of the gas stuff running around. And it does it in complete silence. And when you do that and take your doors off and your top off, it's it's a unique experience that people are drawn to in addition to electrification. So it's really a unique space for us to achieve. Did the acceptance of 4xe surprise you at all? The, 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 the share of sales that you got with that version grant? No, because I think the execution of the system is awesome, works really well, uh, and we had no doubt that we could build a better Jeep. At the end of the day, the only thing that was a little bit of a challenge was to get people's mindset wrapped around it. But think about it. We launched it two years ago. We started selling 15 20% of the sales of Wrangler with PHEV, with 4xE. Now, at the end of quarter one, we're 38% with Wrangler, right? And it's going to keep creeping up. The second half will be well above 50% of the Wrangler. Grand Cherokee, after just, what, four months, we're already at 18%. So, it's creeping up because demand is there, uh, because people realize that you have the V8 performance with something really cool. You don't have a, a bad feel about the environment or not, not as much. You have great fuel economy, and honestly, I, I drive one. I drive a Wrangler Rubicon 4xe. 
I drove 3,000 miles. I went to the gas station three times. That's not what happened when I had a V8 trailer, yeah. right? So there's a lot of good feel yeah. about it. Good feel. I love it because of the torque you have. It's a lot of fun. It's as smooth as it can be. And if you go off-road, it's silent. Take the doors off. Take the top off. You're in nature. Basically here, nothing but the higher. Yeah, I remember the first time driving four by Grand Cherokee four by last year. Yeah. Um, in Texas, uh, you know, on the off-road trail with the engine off, yeah, and you know, all you hear is the tires crunching the skid plate, exactly. scraping over the rocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like uh, yeah, it's, it's quite, it's quite an interesting experience. Yeah. It's pretty matching. I was at the Rubicon last year as as a customer. I, I was incognito. And I had a few hardcore guys in front of me, like real, you know, and, and not the youngest generation. And these guys, really, they, they made they made fun of me with that thing, right? And then I said, okay, come in, come here, try it, try it. So they did their their crawling, and then I said, okay, come over, do the same thing. It doesn't take two minutes for them to realize that it's it, instant torque. Two minutes, especially when yeah. you're crawling. So much, so much easier. better, so much easier. precise, much more precise, much smoother. No need to push the throttle. It's just you know, it's, it's very subtle, very subtle. So it's uh, no, I, th- I think there's no inconvenience. There is no drawback with it. So, <laughs> so with the the popularity of four by eight, has that um, given you added confidence about the, the transition to the what we thought? Has the popularity of 4xE given you some added confidence that when you start launching your, your battery electric models next year, that they will do well, uh, you know, that they're going to be accepted by the public as well? What do you think? I think for sure. <laughs> I think one thing about the Jeep customers is they've always been looking towards the best off-road capability. And what we've proven with our 4xE is 4xE is the new 4x4. And that's being understood more and more that that's the best. So this will be the taking it up one notch again. I think the recon. If I had to bet anything, we're gonna have a year waiting list before start of production. So that's the confidence level I have. Maybe I'm gonna be completely wrong, but the feedback we had from clinics, the feedback we had, we we we've shown it to the dealers last week in Vegas. It's overwhelming. I think the. The fun that that product is going to deliver, the range is going to be decent. The fun that people will have with this thing, I think it's not going to be the, it's not going to be for everyone, you know. Uh, but I think we're going to do extremely well. I'm confident Jeep by 2025 is going to be the number one electrified SUV brand in the world by far, because we're going to have an electrified offering in every single nameplate, from Wrangler to Gladiator. And uh, the, the system works. It works for on-road, it works for daily drive, it works for commute, and it works off-road very well. So there's no, there's no reason why not. And I think we're going to keep ramping up without pushing. Without pushing. I think it's a pretty obvious thing that happens. The dealers are starting to really be convinced of that. When you start driving it, it doesn't take long. Do a test drive, you like it. There are not many systems like that that make you convince us. 
I've had I've been fortunate to have the opportunity to drive a lot of different EVs. I, I totally agree with you. you know, and this, this is the thing that you know, most most drivers have never been in an EV so far. You know, sold uh, maybe two million EVs in North America to date. Yeah, and there's 290 million registered vehicles on the road. So most people have never even experienced an EV yet. It's going to be interesting as more and more people get into these different types of vehicles. Um, in Europe, you also have another EV that's already on the market, yes. Renegade. And Compass. Uh, and, and Compass, yes. Yeah. That's a 4x8. Yeah. Um, how's, the, uh, how's the response been to Renegade? So in Italy, which is really our number one market in, Italy, in Europe, it's uh, almost 50% of our sales in Europe, for a lot of reasons. Obviously, that's where we produce, that's where we really put a lot of emphasis, a lot of resources behind it. And it's also a market that is amenable to smaller vehicles like that. It wow. is as well. And just to give you a perspective, in 2022, we, are, we were number one and number two on the LEV, so low emission vehicle. PHEV and BEV included, Jeep was number one brand in electrification. Number one. In terms of unit sales? Sell. Yeah. Sell. Okay. 2022. That's so, so, so something you would normally think about you know, with Jeep. Yeah, we're we're number one ahead of Tesla, ahead of Volkswagen, ahead of anything else, right? Uh, so, same thing. When people try it, they like it. They understand it. And, and I think it's a really good uh, technology to bridge until the... The whole world is ready for pure electrification with charging stations around the corner, with quick charge and everything else. I think 4xE with plug-in is a very good bridge. And I think what, what is very clear for Jeep, and I think what, why I, I believe we have a very strong plan, is we're going to have several uh, a, a list of different technology for customers. We're not going to force that to everyone. It's not going to be applicable maybe in the Midwest for a period of time because there's not enough charging stations, the grid and everything else. People live remotely and things like that. We're going to have PHEV, we're going to have some HEV, and we're going to have some BEV. And between now and 2030, we'll have a wide spectrum of offerings because freedom of choice is important in America. Right? We're not going to force people to try something because they don't want to. People are going to have different needs, you know, exactly. especially in this market. Especially. And in 2030, we'll be 50% BEV. Okay. So that that's a hell of a commitment, but we really strongly believe we build a plan to do that. So, so you, you mentioned charging. Um, you're already doing uh, the trailhead charging at uh, a number of locations yep. across uh, um, As you start to launch the devs, um, is there any thought to currently those are level two chargers? I think they're solar powered. Um, is there any thought to trying to do some sort of um, faster charging capabilities for the devs? Uh, some of those trailheads, installing a battery pack to go along with the solar um, to, to enable a little bit faster uh, charging for some demo. Level 3 with solar is not currently available. Like the, the, the 20 or 30 minute full charge from solar doesn't work. Level 2 works well. Uh, and we're making some progress, not as fast as we would like. We would love to have them everywhere on the trail, so we're doing it step by step. Yeah. yeah, you're right. We're continuing to look for innovative ways to get the level threes. And our dealers are working hard now as well. So we'll have them in every dealer will have level threes. Obviously, the level three is going to be a lot more common than it is today. Um, obviously, on the coast of the U.S., for sure, more. Uh, 
but you know the federal government is really pushing hard on it and the grid is going to be available in two to three years throughout the nation. On the trail, our responsibility is to do as much as possible for people to be able to enjoy. But the recon will do the Rubicon trail with one charge. That's our commitment. Engineering has a mission to do it and they will do it. They won't run out of juice at the end of the trail. They'll be able to go back to a charging station. Yeah. So they'll be able to do the whole trail and get and back to a charging station. Yeah. 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 That was the mission. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's a, and if you can do that's the a reasonable requirement. You know, <laughs> if you're going to build that vehicle, we have to. You, that's you, the biggest thing. If you can get through the Rubicon, you can do anything. Yeah. Okay. Rubicon is a, is a day and a half, right? Yeah. It's a day and a half. Very slow, but it burns a lot of electricity, right? Yeah. Yeah, a lot, a lot of torque to get over. Exactly. Oh, yeah. 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 All right. Um, anything else uh, about what's what's happening with Jeep? You know, uh, you, you know with going back to the where we started with the Wrangler, the 24 Wrangler. You've got a Rubicon X. Uh, you've got a bunch of new features, uh, full floating axle availability from the factory, factory winch availability. Uh, some, you know, going, you know, as you said, you know, listening to your your customers and what their needs are. And really incorporating some of those kinds of things. The, the trails off road capability, talk a little bit more about those updates. I think that's a great illustration of, of listening to our customers. You know, when you look at a lot of customers' uh, off road rigs now, they've got iPads set up um, so they can, because the mapping technology is so good, they can use the map to follow the trails if they don't know where the trail is. So they've, they've even though they've got a nice 8 4 screen today, they still put a big iPad up to follow the trail. So we listen to them, and we put a 12-inch screen and, and a big trail. So you can actually do that. At the same time, you can monitor pitch and roll. You can clip it over to a camera. All of the stuff that they need, whether on the trail, is all there in a nice, big, integrated um, screen. So you don't have to download the maps. You don't have to worry about you know getting to the trail and not having your map because you didn't download it. We've downloaded all the Badge of Honors trails right there, and uh, it's, it's really nice. It's, that's a good example of listening to our customers and doing what they were doing, and now making it easier for them. And the, the factory winch, I think, is, is availability is a yeah. really cool feature. It is. Having, having myself, gotten myself stuck in a competitor's vehicle. Yeah, without uh, a winch. Without a winch. <laughs> uh, you know, being able to find somebody with, with a winch. With no cell service. Winch, yeah, come get me. It's a huge, it's a huge, uh, yeah. huge help. Yeah. So I think, I think people will really appreciate that one, you know, for those that do go off-road. Well, you know what it does is it gives them a level of freedom, right? I mean... The um, that that is, I mean, because knowing that you can get yourself unstuck, you you enter into a different mindset, right? Because you're not panicked about. I'm not sure what's at the end of the trail or the middle of the trail. It just gives you a freedom to go enjoy. And um, and if you get stuck, you get stuck. That's yeah. fine. Pull yourself out. That's right. That's right. Go find you know find something you can wrap the cable around. Exactly. Pull yeah. yourself out. Yeah. 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 Also makes you a hero when you pull out those competitor cars yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was pulled out by a Jeep, so. Don't worry. An, old, an old XJ Cherokee. Oh, nice. Yeah. My lawyers um, are not allowing me to share this, but you will see a picture in the presentation uh, when there was a nice storm in Texas uh -huh. in January. It was all over the news that Jeep Wrangler owners were on the mission to get people out of the ditch. Oh, right? cool. And there is a, there is a, there is a, a video of a gladiator pulling a semi yeah. big time. Like he's, and obviously it's not, well, it's not what the uh, official towing capacity is, but it did, yeah. right? It did. 
Yeah. So it's, it's all about the community. So what this guy is doing, you know, obviously I, I've been with Jeep four years only. He's been with Jeep 20, he, he, he bleeds Jeep, right? He's tattooed up to here. And uh, yeah, he, he's in touch with all these people. He was at his two Jeep Safari and all the things that our customers request are usually pretty fair. Yeah. And what Jim is constantly pushing me to get resource for is about this. How do we make our Jeep better? How do we listen and deliver to them? And I think we do. Yeah. And with that 24, I think we raise the bar, right? Sounds like it's not just about making it better in general, but making it a better Jeep. Yeah, for, better for Jeep. what Jeep is supposed to be. Exactly. Sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. You said right. it best, Sam. Yeah. All right. Make it a better Jeep. Any, any final thoughts? No, I think it, it, it's great to see, you know, the only other piece that I would say is the demand for, for Jeep is an all-time high. People can't wait to get outdoors, and Freedom and Adventure is on top of a lot of Americans' minds right now, and what better brand to capitalize on it than Jeep? All right. Well, on that note, thank you very much, gentlemen. You're right. Pleasure to talk to you. Good to see you, Sam. Thank you. Thank you. Now we've got Mike Koval uh, talking about the Ram 1500 Rev and mid-sized trucks and other stuff happening at Ram. Yeah, it is. And you've, got, you've got a lot of news you know, from two brands, Jeep um, News and, and Ram. Yep. Um, and especially you know, Ram, you, know, you showed the, the Revolution concept in January, and now you've got the production intent version Correct. of that. And uh, you know, there's, there's a lot that's similar, but also a lot that's different from that concept. Um, why don't we start off with that, you know, go over some of the, what, you know, what, 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 what is making it to the, the production Ram 1500 Rev, and what, what's, what's special there? Well, as, as you pointed out, we made a splash at CES in January where we revealed the Revolution concept, which was really a glimpse into to the future of the brand. I, I made a commitment that everything that you see from the Ram brand from this moment forward will somewhere be a direct descendant of the revolution concept. It's kind of our manifesto. It's our ethos, right? Uh, and I think as we're launching the actual production Ram 1500 Rev today here in New York, the first thing you see is the influence from the exterior styling, especially on the front end. So you have that, that tuning fork design, very sophisticated but modern. RAM, I mean, these, this is the future of the, I would say, the brand look, especially from the aesthetic, very muscular stance. Uh, in terms of a lot of the the features and the innovative uh, specs that you saw on the concept. The team right now, I have, I have a technical solution for 98% of everything you saw on that truck. Lifecycle management. So we're putting the roadmap, roadmap together now. So we'll start to bring in those some of those features that you saw on the truck, little by little, over the life cycle of the actual production vehicle itself. So that's concept gives you a lot of latitude to dream and to push. Will everything make it to market? Eh, maybe not. But it just it shows, I think, some of the spirit at Ram and the things that we're thinking about and how Ram hopefully can make your life a little bit better. But you saw this, this the performance statistics today, and I know we've, we've caught some barbs and, hey, you're late, all that stuff. But it, I, I found in life it's often not the challenge, it's how you react to the challenge. And with full knowledge of what our, our competitors have announced, uh, we've been able to push past a lot of those performance characteristics. So whether it's... 14,000 pounds of towing, 2,700 pounds of, of, of payload, uh, 500 miles of range, uh, 
full-size pickup truck. Yeah. And this is the production version, right? And we start producing back half of next year. Yeah, and you know, to, what you said about not being first, you know, Apple didn't build the first iPod, uh, first MP3 player, Great point. or the first smartphone. Great point. And you know, they, they did okay. They, they, they did all right. Um, you know, do you so, have stock in them? I, I do not. Oh. Uh, sadly, I did not do as well as Apple. <laughs> um, but um, uh, you know, to to some of the specs of this truck, um, you know, I guess. From the conversations that you had, you know, last year you started the Ram Revolution program, talking to customers. Yep. What What did you find from talking to customers were the things that they wanted to see in an electric? Very simple. Very simple. Um, and we talked. Uh, how many cities did we go to? Twenty five or thirty? I think over the course of the year. And I thought that was really cool. And that was one of the things that we wanted to do to differentiate ourselves. And designers, our designers and engineers, were out actually having these little fireside chats. If I were to distill all of the feedback down, it's one thing. Hey, we'll come along with it. There were some that said, never, ever, 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 ever. Forget it. I don't want that. You know what? That was okay, too. Yeah. Um, the one thing they said, look, we're willing to give you a try. We'll come along. But I will not compromise on the things that matter to me the most, which historically were towing and payload, and more importantly, in the future, range and charge time. That was it. That was the central message. I mean, there were some things about styling and, hey, don't make a spaceship and all this stuff, but fundamentally, trucks still need to do truck things. And that's why not only heeding that feedback, but also with full knowledge of what the competition is doing, we were able to make some tweaks and you saw some of the performance characteristics today on the actual production truck. So, I'm curious, you know, from the um, from those conversations, you know, were there a significant or were there yeah, were, were there a significant number of people that you talked to that had already driven an electric truck and at that point, there were not many one, out there. There was, there was one and, yeah. and a small number of Rubrubians. Yeah. Uh, the answer is no, for that very reason. There yeah. just weren't that many. Now, the market has become more mature in the last you know, year or so with, with some of the other guys coming online. Uh, but, um, but fundamentally, that, that was it. Look, I, I don't want to... Electrification cannot be a compromise or a limitation. The truck still... I still needed to do the things I wanted to do. And I think... Ram has, if you think about when we've launched, the, I still I, I look at Todd every time, but uh, the only Ram 1500, we launched an 18 as a 19 model. We called it the DT internally. That was a complete game changer. You know, ride and handling, the luxuriousness of the interior. Of course, so then we had the 12-inch touchscreen, which, I mean, that was, that was game changing. Now it's table space, right? Um, but everything that our fans have come to know and ra- love from Ram, the comfort, the style, the ride and handling, We've all kept all of that. We've, we've stayed true to who we are, just now electrified. And there are more, by the way, we're not done yet. So as, as wonderful as this day is today, we've been prepare, preparing for it for years. It's all about the battery electric truck. Two battery types, right? 168, 229, 350. By the way, I think the 350 is right in the heart of the market. It's between 300 and 400 miles of range, right in the heart of the market. But if range is your thing, 500 miles, right? But with all of that said, we're not done yet. And that's why we affirmed today that we're also going to have a uh, Ram 1500 Rev XR, which we're saving for. So more on that to follow very, very soon. I'm I'm really curious to learn more about that one. It's all about the power choice. And that's what our reservation program is about. Because you're going to use your truck differently than he is, than she is. So with that in mind, with use cases and the customer in mind, ultimately Ram will provide a better suite of solutions. And that includes not only just the pure BEV with the two battery packs, Rev XR, we're still going to maintain our ice propulsion system as well. I'm just putting an extension on the house. I'm, I'm staying true. I'm not alienating anybody. I still have my ice. 
I'm just bringing in the electrified side of the family along, alongside of it. So, um, But we've been very encouraged by the numbers so far. And looking at the IHS forecast through the end of the decade, our, our mix of, of, of LEVs uh, is actually even more bullish, more aggressive than the IHS call. So we're in. Yeah, like it's we're, certainly we're more in. aggressive than, than our forecast at Guide Us Insight for our work, too. We're, we're, we're in. We're in. And if this was a proof positive that we're in, I'm not sure what is. But we're not done. Okay. We're not done. So, what, uh, is, that, uh, is that the rumored mid-size pickup? Or, well, or something no, smaller? no, 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 no. That, or, or just even within within the full size? That's This is within the full size, the RevXR. Um, the mid-size you mentioned, you know, I, I, I think credibility is really important. And, and I, so, going back even to Detroit last fall um, is when I first publicly stated my my because we've been talking about it forever. We know that the biggest white space opportunity for the brand growth is mid-size, right? And since Dakota went away, was to bring a concept version to the dealer show that we had in Vegas a couple weeks ago. And look, I, I was looking for a thumbs up. I, I would know what that meant. Or if they threw something and hit me in the head, I would also know what that yeah. meant. And uh, it was, I, you'd have to ask them, but I, would, I think virtually every dealer, if you were to talk to them, loved it. It was a resounding, like, round of applause. Now, now I've got to go back and actually do it because that was just the concept version. But uh, is that something we're going to see this year, maybe in public? Uh, no, no, not quite, not quite. We had nothing to announce today. But um, I, this is what I would tell you: we have been talking about it for a long time, and I am personally committed, and my team is committed that this is the leadership team that is actually going to do it. And I'll tell you, you say, okay, Mike, you're full of shit. Why? Um, it's the merger. It's the merger of the two companies that have given us new pathways to figuring out how to get this done. I just could never get the business case to work before. Yeah. I have a path now. So uh, that, when you talk about uh, those pathways, is that other markets beyond North America to, to sell that yeah, in? Or ab- absolutely. To scale? And, and I think if you were in my shoes, I, I have to pull myself out of the ditch sometimes because historically 95% of my business is in North America. And, and it's, this is still our home turf. Right. We have to, we have certainly to, for full-size trucks. But, but yeah, look, look at the numbers in South America, the Gulf Coast countries in the Middle East, Australia and New Zealand. Our RAM International numbers are, are growing. We were up 40% year over year last year. We were up 50% versus last year, 22 versus 21. Um, I look at Jeep. I, I'm nowhere near them yet. They have a lot of global equity. Got, but that's what I'm aspiring to do is to grow the brand. My first, I would say, milestone was electrification, ushering the new era of electrification for our brand. And we're here. We're live and, and we're in. And, you know, I was talking to Christian and Jim earlier, yeah. um, you know, and I asked them this question, you know, about whether the, the, the acceptance and the popularity of the Wrangler 4xE and now the, the Grand Cherokee 4xE, did that give you more confidence going forward as you start to introduce vehicles like the Rav and, and other products? Without question. Without question. But I, I think... Back to what a pickup truck does. Back to what it has to do. The the, the, the the inherent promises and commitments we all make to our customers. When we were able to crack the code on things like range and towing, that's that's that combined with the early reservations. We opened up our first cycle of reservations the night of the Super Bowl. Seventy-two hours we closed it. The first mile, first mile you're basically covered. Got a few more based on that, so we reopened it today. Uh, that's another proof. That, that our customers like what we're saying so far. And, and we, when we closed it after 72 hours, Sam, we hadn't told really any. We, had, we, we didn't give any performance characteristics. Now they know. Right. Now they know. Um, but, um, and we're not done yet. 
and we're not done yet. It's all about the power of choice because I know you do something different than you do something. Different. So we'll have the Bev with two battery packs, Rev XR, but the the MCA is not far away. We have our ICE system, power of choice, power of choice. Um, but all of these little things gave us their success, which they're doing great. Cracking the code on the performance characteristics gave us all the confidence that we needed, and we still have more to share. Speaking of performance characteristics, um, yeah. one of the areas that sells a lot in full-size pickups is you know, the work trucks. You know, the low, lower-end work trucks, you know, not, not necessarily well-equipped, um, not necessarily with the biggest engines, you know, but the, they need to, you know, to the space to haul stuff. Um, was there any thought to doing perhaps a single motor version of, of this truck, uh, you know, or, or you know, something that you know, might help bring cost down? Nothing, nothing to announce today. But I will, I will say that um, two things. One, I'm super bullish on not only the retail uh, um, uh, versions, if you will, but I think there is an absolute use case for fleet and small business as well, and and we're seeing it on the ProMaster, the Pro, the ProMaster BEV, which we're that's our first actually our first bev is this fall. Um, the interest, crazy. Why? Total cost of ownership, route predictability, carbon net zero commitments yeah. that everybody's making. So that is giving me confidence also on the full-size truck side of things. Now, we will have the Tradesman, which is our work truck entry-level tr- uh, commercial model. Um, and I am looking at different propulsions or, or different options for a lower end. Nothing to announce today. I mean... Like I said, the 350, the 168 is, I think, right, and that's right in the heart of the market, if not even at the high end today. 500 is off the charts, obviously. Um, But I I think if you were in my, I I have to look at everything, and so nothing to announce today, but I think the the demand will be there for fleet, small businesses, um, who may need some different things. Okay. One more uh, question for for the Ram brand, the whole. We've seen couple, the introduction of a couple of smaller trucks in the yeah. last year that have done really well, um, surprisingly well, I think, to a lot of people. Um, is that a market that you see as an opportunity for Ram as well? I don't, I don't, it is an absolute opportunity. I, I, and with, if you look at the transaction prices of full-size pickup trucks, not only on midsize, but even something below midsize, I have them already in South America. I, I would, If I could push that button right there and bring it to the U.S. tomorrow, I would do it. Because there are some really, really cool things down there that I think we could sell today. It's never that easy. Homologation, safety—it's—it's it's a bit of a nightmare. But um, but I am—am I looking at it? Yes. Am I interested? You bet. Do I think there's a market? No question about it. It's just a matter of timing. It's just a matter of timing. So because it's not just yeah, it's it's not just about what we need and want here in the U.S. or more broadly across North America, globally. Again, where else? Where else can I go? Yeah, there's some interesting markets yeah, in South East. We'll pick up with well, you know, say the powertrain from a, a Hornet you know, or Tenali plug-in hybrid. It, it's, it's all possible. And that's what the beautiful thing about Stellantis is just the sharing of all these platforms and technologies. I mean, I'd love to get in, into Southeast Asia to Thailand. And that, that, the metric ton market is massive there. Why can't Ram play in there? Well, we can't. So we're just, you know, looking at all the different markets and the different opportunities. And I, I think... The Ram brand, the you know, we are built to serve those who serve their communities, family, community, hard work, integrity. Those, those are values I think that transcend barriers and and, and, and boundaries. Um, look at the international numbers. I, I think there's there's a real demand. People people really 
connect with what RAM is all about internationally. And so that gives me the confidence and the basis to explore opportunities there. So whether it's Southeast Asia, enlarged Europe, wherever, global growth, right? Electrification, global growth, all opportunities, small pickups. It, I, it's going to be a very exciting. I mean, we're just getting started. Like this is this carefully curated RAM drumbeat of EV and tech news. Today's a big day. This is this is pivotal. This is a big moment for our our brand and really for the company. Um, and we're just getting started. All right. Thank you very much, Mike. Oh, it was a pleasure. pleasure. See you. Thank you. Thank you, Todd. Is it achieving now? Seven minutes. Next up is Olabisi Boyle, the vice president of product planning and mobility strategy for Hyundai. So how's your day been? <laughs> well, you know, I'm in a good mood because we won like four World Car Awards. <laughs> I know. Four, three or four last year? Three. Three. Well, three. three. It was okay. EV, um, overall. car, overall, and car. And design, 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 design yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, and for you know, so Ionic Five, one year Ionic Six, like we're gonna start expecting this. <laughs> Something like that. You're setting a high bar for yourself. Uh, yeah. All right, but that's Gotta keep introducing. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, so, um, Ionic Six, uh, you know, uh, important new product. You know, Hyundai is one of the few brands that has actually stuck by um, sedans. Yeah. Um, in recent years, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of other OEMs have kind of shuffled them off into the into the distance, mm-hmm. and uh, you stuck by sedans and launched something really interesting with that car, both from a design and technology perspective. Um, what's the how's the response been to the Ionic Six so far? Well, we just started building it um, for North America in February and they're now at dealers just starting March right so it's, it's you know just out there but to be honest um, we expect to um, this to do well like the Ionic 5 did when you talk about and to be honest we, we like to refer to it as a a streamlined um, four-door vehicle because it wasn't like your traditional Let's call it sedan that we yeah, tried to do. Not a three box sedan. Exactly, exactly. And that and and that was on purpose. Like, we, if we go back to the whole EGMP platform, right? And you started out with Ionic Five, and you had the kind of crossover SUV. We wanted to kind of hit a piece and piece segments. So the crossover SUV. I'll tell you a little bit why we want to do the four door um, streamlined silhouette, and then we're going to have a large three row. SUV come in in 24. And so um, the idea there was let's have a platform that can produce in key segments for us because I think that the the definition of EV is is basically I want my ICE car. Some people in in the car industry, we really care about the drivetrain, right? Mm -hmm. And then if your performance, you really care about things like N. But after a while, if there was, especially if there was no issue with infrastructure, as you move to mainstream, they're not going to care about the the, yeah. the, the powertrain. They just want to get in the car, know that it's going to start for them every right, morning. Right, and get there. Exactly. And so that's why we wanted a platform that's going to deliver some key segments. And if you talk about, um, let's call it the sedan segment, you still got about um, 2 million or so of those that are sold, right? And so, and then a lot of people have abandoned it. So it really allows us an opportunity to sort of increase market share in something that's abandoned, especially when you come out with a vehicle like an Ionic 6, because it's not a traditional sedan, number one. Number two, it's an EV, battery EV, full electric, dedicated platform. And 
we went from the Ionic 5 at 303 AER to this streamlined silhouette to 361 AER, right? And we put all the aero treatments and body covers underneath. We have those active air flaps. We have all these um, moldings to sort of guide the air and reduce the drag around it. It's got the really streamlined shape. And so now you have something that gives you 360 miles. That's huge compared to even ice, you know? in a sedan that actually looks good. It's not some kind of bubble car because it's an EV. It actually looks really nice. It's designed purposefully, not just because we had an EV to do. And so we think that'll help us also for all the people abandoning the sedan market. This is a compelling, um, you know, and we don't have to sell all the two million unless somebody, but if someone yeah. wants to buy two million of them. Well, <laughs> well, you can get enough materials for the batteries. Well, true enough, true yeah. enough, true enough. Um, yeah. Talking about the design of, of Ionic 6 and, and 5 and, and presumably the 7 mm-hmm. as well, um, you know, the SUV when it comes out, um, and even you know, the Kona, um, as you move into, you know, I was just talking to another designer, you know, as you move into um, this era of electrification, mm-hmm. you know, some of the traditional requirements that a vehicle had mm-hmm. you know, in terms of airflow through the front, through a grill, mm-hmm. you know, that, that grill you know, also created the face of the brand image mm-hmm. of the vehicle mm-hmm. and as the need for that goes away you know there's companies taking some interesting approaches to okay what do we replace this with how do we evolve the look you know to maintain a, a brand image mm-hmm. and I think Hyundai's you know, you see that seamless really horizon yeah. That's that's on the Kona that's out there. So also, I don't you might have noticed I don't know if you got a chance to see the Sonata. Mm-hmm. It's it's we got that seamless horizon. On our IX, you got the pixelated um, uh, uh, incorporated into the lights. We started incorporating into the wheels. Um, um, but there's some design treatments and themes and techniques that you can sort of uh, blend together. The radiator grill obviously is gone on, on that. So then you can get creative with what you could do in the front. We've done it on Genesis. We've done it on Hyundais. Um, you, it, definitely on the Ionic 5, 6, and 2B7. But then now you see it on the on the Kona. So I think it's, it's again, once the people who really don't care about the drive change, as long as it functions as, as told, <laughs> horsepower, AER, you know, ch- charging time, things like that, um, then they care about how it looks. And I think the reason why we're getting a lot of accolades and third-party recognition is because we're designing the car for people, both on the exterior and the interior. The other thing that allows us, that does allow us with the electrified chassis, you don't have the tunnel and flat floor and all that, is you really get to extend your wheelbase now. In the, so the interior is large, yet the exterior can kind of make Prioritizing it. for the people. Exactly. Instead exactly. of... Instead of piece of hardware yes. need to move the because vehicle. I feel early in this EV journey it was about like oh this is the technology This, but now when you get people who use the vehicle every day and just taking their kids to daycare or whatever the kids they're doing or trying to commute to work or whatever um, then you need to make it for the people inside that's what they're going to care about and I think we spent a lot of time doing that and the EV sort of chassis allows us a lot more space innovation and I, one of the things I personally appreciate is you know, Hyundai designing to stick with some physical tactile controls in yeah. the vehicle. We not talk nece- about that all the time. Not necessarily putting everything into a touch interface. Uh, you know, so we have just a little inside baseball. So we have these meetings, and it's us, and it's consumer experience, and it's the design guys. And you know, you, you, you feel like the design guys want everything like flat and beautiful, and da 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 da. 
but we actually have meetings where we all come together and they'll be like, ah, and last time, you know, the people are really complaining about, like, they have to, like, search for the HVAC controls or they have to do this. And we really collaborate because we still want to optimize. We don't want it to be all design, Mm -hmm. you know, and we don't want it to be all, we're not going to have all buttons either, you know. And so we want some aesthetic, we want form and function. And we, I really feel we're sort of uh, kicking on all cylinders for old school speak, um, to collaborate on those piece, pieces. And so design doesn't always win and consumer experience doesn't always win, but we really talk it through. And I think there was a time where it's just like, well, we're just going to do it however design says, and it's not like that now, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know if, if Steve Jobs was the first one to say it, but he's the one that, I, that I'm familiar with him articulating the idea that design is not just about the way something looks, but about the way it works. Form and function. Yeah. Form and function. And it's, it's, it's all of that, and I think that's, you know, that's really important. That's the thing that, that then people really end up loving your vehicles. Mm-hmm. In like because I talked to a bunch of people even on the II five and you talked about that interior space and that how it seems like bigger or roomier when you get in, and, and people say that even about the Ionic six too, and th- I was just like, well, you looked at all these EVs, why'd you end up choosing the Ionic five? And they're like, you know, we saw it from the outside and we just thought like it wasn't gonna be big enough. We just had a baby and we we're gonna like you know put the baby seat in and and he goes. The reason why, I, when I sat in the Ionic 5, but I hadn't sat in it, they'd like seen thousands. When I sat in the Ionic 5, I was shocked as how good it is. And then after that, like all the ones I saw before, forget it. And then I bought the Ionic 5. And I hear that so much because they're fooled by that. But I think it's also because we spend all this time on space innovation and taking advantage that we have this flat floor and this electrified chassis. Like one of the... Uh one of the interesting things from a technology perspective around uh, EGMP yeah, was the decision to go with an 800 volt architecture. That's a unique selling proposition. And, <laughs> you know, and in more mainstream vehicles, you know, like they have it in Porsche. The only one. Yeah, but we're, we're democratizing yeah. EV technology. So that was a strategic, I feel, really inspired, bottom bias, decision, you know, from Albert Bierman and team. Uh-huh. Um, to go with the 800-volt technology. Because, one, it allowed us the 10 to 80% ultra-fast DC charge. So, I mean, you can find a charger that works that fast. That's all. So, so, Sam, so Sam, work with me on this, all right? So, we are in the infancy of the infrastructure journey, right? But OEMs can't go, I'm not going to work on EVs till the infrastructure is there, right. right? So, we, we got to do this. But 10, 15 years ago, we ain't, like... Everybody's just like, why? You know, it's impossible. And now people are considering EVs. Ten, fifteen years from now, the the pains we're going through. On well, my charger's always broken, not maintained there. We won't be at that position. You know, maybe we'll be working on trying to get infrastructure for hydrogen or whatever the case is. Because to meet these climate change challenges, um, it's not going to be. A lot of people make it like a war between like battery EV or hydrogen or and it's not we're going to have maybe hydrogen for heavy duty maybe battery EV for you know passenger cars or light duty or whatever the case may be but we're going to need to meet these really stringent goals you know 50% you know no ice vehicles after a certain time 2035 and all of that it's going to take multiple types of technologies to, to get us there. And so I know the infrastructure is not there today but it's going to evolve. Yeah. Well I think one of the one of the things that doesn't get talked about enough you know, is the used vehicle market. Mm. I mean, obviously, you're primarily focused on selling new cars mm. to consumers, mm. but, um, you know, and obviously new car buyers, you know, love the, the ability to charge very quickly, mm-hmm. but I think that's actually going to be even more important when you get to the used yes. car market, because, well, 
more, far more people buy used cars than new cars. True. And uh, you know, those cars stay on the road for a long time. And as you get into that used car market, where affordability is even more of a, an issue for for consumers. Mm-hmm. Many, a much higher percentage of those consumers are going to be living somewhere where they don't have dedicated off-street parking mm-hmm. to, to charge at home every night. Mm-hmm. And so they are going to be much more dependent on that charging infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't, you know, I don't know how much thought you know, Hyundai gave to that you know, in making the decision to go with an 800-volt architecture mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. But you know, five, six years from now, when a lot of these cars are in the used car market, mm-hmm. and those consumers... That can't ch- can't charge at home mm-hmm. are relying on that. They're I think they're really going to appreciate the fact that mm-hmm. okay I can go somewhere for twenty minutes and you know right I don't have to be there for five hours yeah yes exactly right so I, I think that's that's a piece of it but you know the infrastructure thing I, I say a lot this a lot like like an African term it's also but like it takes a, a, a village mm-hmm. <laughs> and so what what I mean by it's that an ecosystem it is yeah. it is and so. Um, one of the things, let's just talk infrastructure for a minute. So one of the things that we're exploring on ma- many avenues is in this ecosystem where it takes a village. So there's one piece with, can we work with our dealers that, depending on where they're located, have um, uh, real estate where they're willing to build infrastructure um, since we have a relationship with dealers and, and actually maybe we can work with a traditional oil company partner that wants to now have EV infrastructure and then and, and maybe look at opportunities to partner with our dealers to, to have infrastructure there. There's another piece where I'm in an urban environment. Maybe there's a way to Airbnb my electricity. So if from my brownstone I connect to a charger that's here and then Sam is in town for for a minute and he has to go by my house I can he can plug into the pedestal this. out on the curb right yeah. but somehow because it's in front of my house and it's still part of my brownstone or whatever I get some money out of this and the company gets money out of this whatever the case may be so that's an avenue especially maybe in urban environments if we can get them tall and skinny enough or whatever um, then there's um, you know we have in Korea we have these stations called E-Pit where it's our own particular network, and it's in Korea now, and they're they're trialing trialing those out. And maybe is that something? Maybe we maybe we would want to explore, you know, in North America, and actually have a network, a charging network that way. Um, and then is there um, where we uh, partner with a traditional um, uh, oil company to, that now wants to go into clean energy to um, set up that infrastructure. And so that's what I mean by the ecosystem. We're like looking at avenues in all of those because um, as an industry, we're going to need that to sort of help speed up this whole. Yeah. Um, so are, is Hyundai, you know, looking at making more direct investments in infrastructure or is it primarily through working with your partners to help facilitate, you know, like with dealers. We're going to look at partners. all those. We're kind of like exploring all those okay. those options, yeah. But we understand the, the need for it. To your earlier point, right, you know, infrastructure isn't there. And so we also want to sell our EVs, so we need to help, you know, promote that. We also need the education mm-hmm. piece of it. Um, part of the reason we did the Hyundai Home thing, right, was the education piece of it, right? You, you know, I buy my EV, but maybe I want, I didn't know I needed a home charger. And some people 
they do. They don't realize that. Yeah. You know, a home charger. Or um, I. Or now, God, what is it like? I'm gonna do my gas, my 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 electricity bill, and um, and so maybe solar panels help, and then maybe that somehow I can give it back to the grid, and then maybe it's a battery charger for when the lights go out, and you know I still have some energy that I can use. And but the key thing is a couple of things. You, it gets coupled with an energy advisor that says, oh, for your house, it's two thousand square feet, and these this is type of solar panels that this was and by the way in your particular town in New Jersey these are the incentives that go with it so you can help all of that um, you can you know bring this along um, another area you know we had I had somebody write to me recently um, you know about the challenge of charging an EV if uh, if you're physically disabled if you're in a wheelchair mm. um, you know, I'm sure you've experienced you know Handling those those big thick mm. DC fast charging cables, mm. um, and you know, looking at the way most charging stations are configured, mm-hmm. you know, if you're if you're in a wheelchair mm-hmm. um, and you know, you've got a, a, an adapted vehicle, trying to <laughs> get that cable, I mean, even even just in many cases, like the Electrify America station that's near my home, you know, they've got pairs of chargers with uh, a pair of parking spaces in between and on either side of there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just physically no space to get in there with a chair. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can't do it mm-hmm. if you're in a chair and, and be able to get that cable and get it onto the end of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, Hyundai uh, showed off a, a robotic Mm. Charging system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is is that those something? are the types of things we're trying to do when yeah. we bought Boston Dynamics? Right. How do we bring it to sort of ease um, people's sort of everyday needs with robots? That that was yeah. kind of one of, part of the reasons. Right. Like, how do we help? You know. So is that technology that came out of the Boston Dynamics group to do that, or I, I don't know if that particular one. That might have been like yeah, a, a pilot thing. Back to you yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know about that particular one, but what I do know is part of the extension of sort of going into robotics with like boss is how do we bring those technologies to help people in their sort of everyday lives or even in our manufacturing facilities as people are working on repetitive jobs and that that type of thing and so it's to help and then we have actually um as sort of a demonstration of what types of things we would do where you see people sort of maybe uh, being cascaded or taken out using robots you know helping them to maneuver from here to to there now i also as we increase this infrastructure journey, because right now people are putting EV chargers where they can. Like, it's not necessarily with a great plan. It's like, I have some space and I'll put it here, right? And so those things are going to have to be planned out, right? Like, you're going to have to, just like we're trying to deliver on the interior space for the car, you're going to have to deliver on a charging station that's a real charging station that accommodates all types of people that come. And I do believe we'll get to that point. But also in the interim, I think the types of things we want to do with robotics is to help those types of yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, there's also options like wireless charging, which Genesis yes, has been piloting. Yes, in, yes, in, yeah, we have Korea. that in Korea. Yeah. Yeah. Is is that something that you're looking at potentially bringing to North America? Well, those, that's the, when I was this day, I didn't I didn't include that one, but those are things that we would consider as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, one one last area I want to get into is um, you know, in Chicago, uh, you announced the Blue Link Plus, mm-hmm. um, you know, the next generation of connectivity for for Hyundai vehicles. Um, and um, I know that you know one of you know as, as great as the the Ionic vehicles are, you know one of the the, the perhaps weaknesses mm. in those vehicles has been uh, you know in the infotainment system finding charging when you're on a trip, when you're on a road trip, mm. uh, you know 
trying to figure out where where's the charger along my route. The booming um, routing. Yeah, and you know, hopefully with the the, next, the new generation stuff, you know, that will be better. I'm looking forward to trying that out. Um, but um, last week, GM made an interesting announcement about their decision to um, remove smartphone projection support from their future. Yeah, yeah, they're not going to have Apple Android Auto, Apple CarPlay. Right. Uh, you know, they've got an Android automotive-based infotainment system, mm-hmm. and they want to focus on doing the integration within that platform mm-hmm. yeah, the to, Google one. to create a more consistent experience for their customers. Is that something that is under consideration at all within Hyundai to maybe go in a direction like that to, to really optimize that, that built-in experience and maybe move away from the projection experience? Well, I wouldn't say whether that we're moving away right at this five minutes. There's no decision or announcement on that. But what I would say is we're working on the digital cockpit of the future, the one that brings productivity in the vehicles, one day when we have autonomous, but even prior to that. And um, we are looking at all options and alternatives so that we have sort of a unique experience, just like we're trying to optimize space innovation, but kind of like, on, let's call it the hardware end. On a, from a software digital consumer experience end, we're looking at that North Star digital cockpit that we are looking at various options to, to see what would be best to, to in, enable that. But that is, is a, a North Star for us to have the digital cockpit of the future that really meets the consumer needs. And so we haven't made a decision on removing or keeping Android Auto. Trying try, try to, try to make it well, as, there's as no the best near, you can so the consumers want to use there's it. There's no near term. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. Um, Sam, remember in 2015 when we were first to market mm-hmm. with CarPlay? Yeah. And then the headline on the, the, the billboard that I made at the auto show was freedom of choice. Yeah. I think we've always kind of stood for, here's some options. Right. Yeah. right. Give, give hey, consumers the options, right. but, you decide. but work on making right. you your, your, your system yeah. the best it can yeah. be so right. that consumers choose that. So I feel when you have that uh, North Star digital cockpit, it's going to be the, the thing that lets the consumers do that. But there's no decision today that, like, we're dropping Android Auto or Apple CarPlay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then we didn't announce the EV routing on Ionic 6. We just, I don't know, when you get your loan. Yeah, well, they're doing a regional drive in Michigan in yeah, a couple so weeks. Yeah, so you'll be so up to experience it. Okay. It's, it's a connected routing yeah. with the chargers. And okay. yeah. We just talked about it like two weeks ago. Yeah, we, were, yeah. plots the, we had a recent drive. Where to charge. Yeah, and uh, hopefully you know, maybe better integration with the, the charge network operators to get that mm-hmm. real-time yes. data yes. in there yeah. uh, so, so cons- the driver can know what's actually available, exactly. what's working, yeah. what speed is that. Is there a 350-kilowatt charger? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think there's so much opportunity to make that stuff, that experience better. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Both, yeah. From what both, we're talking about for yeah. a handicapped person. Yeah. yeah. And both, so many steps. From the, from the OEM side and, and from the, the charge provider yes. side, you know, and for the, for the consumers, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of lot of opportunities there. Right. And hopefully... Uh, yeah, That's I'm also sure. in the infancy of its journey. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, you know, I mean, you know, we're only 10 years into this, mm-hmm. uh, really, you know, the modern EV era. Right. And, you know, if you look back at the beginning of the auto industry... We didn't even used to know, talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it took, it took decades, you know, before there were gas stations everywhere. Right, 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 right. And we're, I think we're, we're so much farther along even now than we were then. Right. Uh, but... You know, people have gotten so used to the reliability of traditional fueling infrastructure mm-hmm. that they, you know, they expect to get have the same thing on the EV side, and 
you know, if if we don't deliver, then it'll be know. hard to make that transition for yep, you. Yep, exactly. Understood. Yeah. Um, anything else going on at Hyundai that you know, we haven't talked about? That you know. Should I leave out stuff? No, I don't think so. I mean. It's a bright future. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're feeling kind of good these days. Yeah. <laughs> um, so next next year you got to go for a clean sweep of all the world cars. No, don't jinx it. Don't jinx it. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we've got Mike Wild, the um, director of product planning and pricing at Kia of America, talking about the EV9 and more stuff. So Mike, um, you're head of product planning for Kia North America. Um, big news here today is showing off the EV9. I guess certainly in public in North America for the first time. Um, and it, this is a really important new product for uh, for Kia. Um, tell, tell us a little bit more about the uh, the EV9. You're right; it's very important. I mean, I think, like I've told other people, I think it's the future of Kias. The future of Kia is you know being bold, innovative, and electrified. And I think EV9 is you know the uh, best representative of, of what we're trying to do. We've had great success with the Telluride, you know. American families love the Telluride. They've also appreciated the, the technical excellence of the EV6, our first dedicated EV, and it's kind of the combination of the both. So we took the platform from the EV6 and a lot of the attributes that people love the Telluride, and now we have an electrified Telluride size SUV, and it takes what we did for EV6 even to a new level. So it's like the next level of technology, connectivity, um, and, and I, you know, I'm a big fan of the EV6. You know, I've, I've driven all of the various EGMP, or almost all the various EGMP. Including the GT? Uh, I haven't yeah. driven the GT yet. Oh. Um, but I've, I've tried the, the GV60 performance. Okay. Um, Probably similar. Very, yeah. very similar. Obviously, very different look and feel to it. But right. Similar performance levels. Um, I've driven a couple of different EV6s, uh, a couple of the, the ones from Brand H over there. Um, and... Uh, you know, I think it's a it's an outstanding platform, uh, and I think it's it's going to be really interesting to see how consumers in, in this segment, you know, the the family size three row uh, utility segment, which is obviously a, a very strong segment, strong for Kia, strong overall, um, how they take to that because right now there isn't really anything um, electric in you know, in a more affordable price point. I mean what. The only offerings right now in this sort of size class are like the Rivian R1S, you know, Mercedes uh, EQS, you know, which are expensive. much more expensive. Yeah. So, right. what what kinds of things were you targeting in developing the EV9, you know, to make it appeal to families in this sort of uh, segment? Uh, size. Yeah. So the number one reason that people are interested in that kind of car is, you know, they want to have a big enough room to fit their family, all their stuff. And also, if you take a longer trip, you know, the bigger the, the longer the trip, the more comfortable you want to be. And the more, you know, the bigger the car is, the more comfortable you can be. So, uh, you know, having that, that capability as far as the size. And then the other thing we've added is, you know, just like what was popular in Telluride is the safety features. And we've taken that to a whole new level. And then the uh, advanced driver assistance. So, you know, before you, you uh, could drive it, Somewhat hands-free, but you had to touch the steering wheel every once in a while, right, to show you're paying attention. But now we'll have a camera in the car, and you can actually not put your hands on the steering wheel at all. The camera will ensure that you're paying attention, so it's truly hands-free driving. So it'll be a hands-free, eyes-on system that's available for North America? Yes. 
Uh, and overseas, I think they talked about uh, a level three system, which is hands off, eyes off. That's not coming to North America at this point, right? Yeah, I mean that's kind of uh, kind of a technical and legal question mm-hmm. of you know level three. So we have the systems in the car between the lidar, the radar, and the camera. We definitely know what's going on on the road, but trying to synthesize that and uh, making sure that. You know, I think the difference between level two and level three, level two is uh, driver assisted and level three is, you know, basically no driver. Right. And that puts all the liability on the OEM, right? Mm-hmm. If you say, you know, we don't need you there at all, there's so many different systems, uh, you know, scenarios. And a lot of buyers, what we found in the research is they're more comfortable being somewhat involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're still, especially for a vehicle like this, you know, family vehicle, safety is number one. And I think the driver's still going to want to be involved. Okay. So EV9 is going to be the first um, product in North America from Kia with that hands-free capability. What sensors are you using? You mentioned LiDAR. Is that only for the Level 3 system, or will that also be on the the the, US, the North American version that's eyes on? Uh, yeah, it'll be on the North American. Yeah, okay. it's called Advanced uh, Highway Driver Assist. So mm-hmm. we have HDA2, and then we have this new... We actually haven't officially named it yet. It's still kind of in process, but Advanced Highway Driver Assist. And basically what it does, like I said, is, you know, you won't have to touch the steering wheel. You can, you know, change lanes. Uh, you can go on and off the on-off ramp. So as long as you're on a uh, mapped highway, uh, it takes what we've already done with the uh, Telluride. So you can change lanes and takes it to even a, a higher level. So, uh, excuse me, as far as capabilities... Um, will it have uh, like a lane change on demand or an auto overtaking capability as yes. part of that suite? Yes, lane change on demand, auto okay. overtaking. Uh, you know, we've already added in most of our cars like junction turning, mm-hmm. and you know, when you're going through an intersection, which is where most serious accidents happen, it, it'll actually stop it. But it adds, you know, if you've got someone, yeah, like you said, oncoming, someone coming at you, or even if someone like moves over in the lane next to you, it'll move you over in the lane, like over to the edge, right. or change yeah, lanes nudge you over if it a needs bit, to. Give you a little extra clearance. Yeah, yeah. So if, if it if it judges you need to make an evasive maneuver, and that's better than hitting the brakes, it will make the evasive maneuver for you. Okay. Um, for the uh, for the the hands free capability with the the maps, roughly how many miles of roads uh, will be available for hands free operation? I should know that, but I don't remember the exact amount. It was like, I don't know, many thousands of miles, and they keep expanding it. I'll have to check. Okay. I, I can get back to you on what the, All right. yeah, the number is. Um, and the the LiDAR, what type of LiDAR are you using, if you, if you know? I don't know the brand okay. yeah, of the LiDAR. I, okay. I can look into that, though. I, I can okay. get you that information. Yeah, I would appreciate that. But we have that. two LiDARs uh, in the front. Okay. Uh, in that system, it also has... Kind of the lower front corners? Or, uh, or? Like kind of mid bumper oh, okay. uh, just on the other side of that oh, okay. uh, that little strip in the middle yep okay yeah and then uh we also have like a rear microphone okay so like if a, a siren's For coming like they'll know okay. emergency vehicles coming and you know pull over uh it's also got uh the ultrasonic sensors on all mm-hmm. corners it has side looking radar so not just front and rear but also sideways looking radar so that that's the one that'll tell you you know who's next to you so that, that's the biggest advancement is cars in the past, you know, they would look in front of you mostly, but now they see to the side and also to the rear. Okay. For the, um, the, the HMI, the human machine interface part of it, you mentioned driver monitor 
camera uh, to make sure you're watching the road. Um, what other sorts of things uh, have been implemented on the EV9 to uh, help the driver be aware of what mode it's in, when they need to put their hands back on the wheel, take control? Well, most of those vehicles, I think all those vehicles will come with a heads-up display. Okay. So a lot of that is shown in the heads-up display. Okay. And then it also, you know, has a series, you know, like it'll give you a warning, it'll give you an audible signal. Uh, it actually, the steering wheel will vibrate. Okay. Yeah, to let you know, It'll like, you, you better you better do something. Okay. Yeah, so it has several levels of warning before it'll actually uh, take an action. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, a lot of it will be displayed on the, the heads-up display, and then also in the uh, center cluster, and then, like I said, it has uh, feedback through the steering wheel and audible and visual warnings. Okay. Um, going back to the, the electrification part of it, which is kind of the core of EV9, um, what sort of range can we expect to see with uh, the North American market versions of that? Uh, right now we're targeting 300 miles, okay. which is pretty amazing for a vehicle that size. So even though it's pretty huge, I mean, at least mm-hmm. for, you know. And it's, it's roughly the same like overall size markets, as the Telluride. Same uh, size. Wheelbase, though. Yeah, but it does have, so Telluride, its uh, drag coefficient is 0.34, mm-hmm. which is good, but it's 0.28, which oh. is amazing. Yeah. So it's actually better than the uh, Range Rover, which was claimed as the uh, lowest drag coefficient of any luxury SUV. Yeah. So we're, and I think that helps with the range. Uh, and then we've got uh, like fourth generation batteries, which are denser. You know, they've got more nickel in them, and they put more cell packs inside the cell. We expanded the wheelbase to 122 inches from the yeah. Telluride's. That fourth generation battery is that a step forward from what's in EV6? Yes. Or, okay. Yeah, that was the. Third generation, okay. and now we have the, the fourth generation. So it's like with cars, keep moving ahead. And it's still that 800-volt architecture, 240-volt yeah. uh, so kilowatt charging. You can charge it from uh, 10 to 80% in less than 25 minutes. Assuming you can find a charger that's actually functioning properly. That's <laughs> a problem, yes. Yeah. Yes, that is one, a problem. Yeah, one of one of the uh, I mean, one of the few issues I had with the EV6 um, is when you are driving. Um, trying to find chargers in the infotainment system. Um, when I was, I took a drive last year from Detroit to Wisconsin, um, and you know, it was trying to point me back at a charger that was 80 miles behind me. Which oh was yeah, not very helpful. That's annoying. Um, for EV9, um, has that been updated at all? Is there a new generation of the, the navigation to help you find charging along your route? They have a new system, and I, I completely agree that. It's a family vehicle. People mm-hmm. are going to be taking road trips, and people want to have confidence that they're going to be able to get where they're going. Mm-hmm. And if they need to stop to charge, it needs to be directing them towards the act, you know, a station that's available and uh, you know on their way. So they do have a new system. I haven't used it yet, but integrated into the navigation that does exactly that will uh, continually update how much range you have. So it's much more accurate as far as the range, mm-hmm. and it also uh, will tell you you know, which stations are available along the route. Okay. What kind of towing capability will the EV9 have? Because, uh, you know, obviously, you know, some people using this type of vehicle, like, you know, want or need to tow. Um, yeah, 5,000 pounds, okay. believe it or not. So that's, you know, tell you right, standard towing capacity is 5,000 and the X-Pro is 5,500. Um, of course, it does degrade the range. Sure. You know, just yeah. like in a gas car. Yep. Yeah, but you can tow with it. Okay. Excellent. Um, so what... Uh, um, so, uh, when is the EV9 going to be available in the U.S.? 
Uh, I think production starts in September, so I think we're saying uh, fourth quarter. Okay. Fourth quarter. And initial production is going to be in South Korea, correct? Correct. And then and next then year, that's right, we start building them in uh, Georgia. Okay. And uh, West Point, same place where you built uh, other, right. other Kia vehicles. Okay. Fantastic. Um, and um, do you have any information yet on kind of the price range for EV9? You know, what, what can consumers expect to be looking at? Uh, I mean, like all Kias, we pride ourselves on our value and mm-hmm. affordability. Uh, certainly is going to deliver a lot for the money. We don't know exactly what we're going to charge. I mean, obviously, we want it to be less than 80000 because sure. we have that IRA limit uh-huh. of 80000 and we want to be competitive with everyone else. And, you know, you've got the Cadillac Lyric out there and, you know, good values. So, you know, I'm, I'm actually in charge of pricing for Kia, too, and it's uh, very challenging with, you know, Tesla lowering prices, raising prices. You know, first Ford, you know, continually raised prices, and then Tesla lowered prices. So we'll be competitively priced. Uh, we're not exactly sure where that's going to be, but it'll be a, a, a great value. We, we, I don't know yet what exactly the number will be. What do you see as the, the key competitors for the EV9? Initially, really, there are, like you said, there's really no other three-row uh, electrified vehicles of that size. You have the Model X, which is a lot more money. You have the Rivian, which is a lot more money. So we really don't, and I guess the... Uh, EX90 will be out soon. Uh-huh. That, that'll also be quite a bit more money. So initially, we really won't have much competition. So if you want a three-row family SUV, uh, will be you know your one choice. And it's going to be this is the main is a mainstream vehicle, and we feel like for EVs to be successful, this is where we have to be successful. Okay. We have to attract mainstream customers. All right. And they'll be priced appropriately. Okay. Um- one other question uh, going off in a little bit different direction. Um, last week, GM made an interesting announcement about their, their strategy around infotainment on their EVs, on their new EVs. Um, they're yes. just continuing support for, for um, smartphone projection for Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Yes. Um, their systems are built around uh, Android Automotive, so it's got support, got the Google Play Store and everything built in, and you can download Android apps on there. But what what do you see as... Uh, as uh, Kia's strategy going forward, is that something that Kia might do in the future? You know, um, moving away from projection and focusing on the the internal interface to to try to ensure that it's more consistent for owners, as you know, the argument that GM makes. You know, I'm an OEM guy, mm-hmm. so of course I want everything to come from Kia. Sure. You know, so yes, is that the direction we would like to go? Yes, but I think the First thing is the customer, what the customers want. Customers love their phones. They love having the Android Auto and the Apple CarPlay. Most people have Apple. So people love, you know, having that familiarity of the same system. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to, just like that uh, navigation distance to empty uh-huh. function with the EV, is we're trying to add value to our system so people will want to use that system. But we're not in a position to tell people we're not going to provide you with uh, Apple CarPlay, even though... That can be difficult to work with sometimes because you know we have different technologies mm-hmm. and trying to make them work together is is a challenge. Uh, but we continue plan to continue to offer Android Auto, Apple CarPlay, and just continually enhance our system. So hopefully uh, the Kia navigation system is the the one that people will use, but by choice, not not because we're forcing them to. Okay, good. Um, any other any other uh, final thoughts on the EV9 or or 
electrification in general a Kia that uh, listeners should be thinking about? I think you have to get in the car and uh, drive it and experience it. I mean, we've updated everything. So uh, I've been in the automotive industry for a long time. And the exciting thing is the newness of a new car. And when we make a new car, like we make the EV9, everything is new. The IP is new. We have a different kind of glove box. You know, this, this is like a traditional glove box. We have a new drawer-type glove box. Uh, Slides up. We not only have ambient lighting, but you can have different lighting at the top and the bottom, and you can select all the different colors. Uh, the lights, like for the uh, reading lights, are dimmable. Uh-huh. You know, so uh, all the way throughout the car, from the storage capabilities, the, you know, we have USB-C connectors. Everything has been redone, and I think the one advantage Kia has, because we don't have a luxury brand, is we don't have to hold anything back. Like, we don't have a luxury brand that we need to save features for. So we put everything, uh, the best that we have available in the vehicles, and I think customers appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. And you're buying a brand new car, you, know, you want to have the latest and the best technology, and that's what you'll get when you get Kia. All right. Great. Thank you very much, Mike. Yep. Pleasure Thank to you. talk to you. Yep. Good to talk to you. All right. Thanks, everybody. And we will be back next week with a fresh show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.